The Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus comes to you this week from Keenan Stadium, football in the forest here in Chapel Hill. I'm Mike Waddell along with David Glenn. And David, the Tar Heels are off to a quick start, and they have Minnesota right here later today. Yeah, Mike, it's going to be a great test for the Tar Heels. A couple years ago, Minnesota was one of the best defensive teams in the nation, and they're good again this year. They're well coached under P.J. Fleck. Their first two games were against lesser opponents, but they gave up fewer than 10 points per game. So whereas you saw it, the Heels beat South Carolina, and we were there with this tailgate, largely because of the Heels' defense, which surprised a lot of people. Fast forward to the next week, the Heels beat App State for a lot of reasons, but I'd say it was largely the Heels' running game. Offense, oh, yeah. Offensive line in Omarion Hampton with an incredible running performance from the tailback spot. I think it's going to need require a all-hands-on-deck performance from the Tar Heels. They are right here at Keenan Stadium. I think they're better than this year's Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, there's actually a bunch of ACC Big Ten matchups this weekend. And ACC fans can be proud that this league is actually 3-1 and one against the mighty SEC head-to-head so far this season. That does not happen very often in my 30-plus years covering this league. So it's just a subset, of course, heels Gophers of this big, it's almost like the basketball ACC Big Ten Challenge. It just kind of fell that way on the schedule this week. Um, but I think the Heels are the better team. They're just going to need all three phases of the game to beat the Gophers after we saw that close call against the Mountaineers. Looking back to week two here in the college football season, the games pretty much went as you would expect them to go. Way Forest continues their early season onslaught. They get the win over the SEC, over Vanderbilt, and that one really wasn't much of a game. It wasn't, but it's still a step forward because you and I were talking to Dave Clawson earlier this season about his priorities for this year. And one of them that they did not get accomplished in week one against Elon of the FCS was finding the running game. And Vanderbilt is a bigger, stronger team than Elon, of course. And the Deeks did find their running game. So the win is the most important thing. The coaches will tell you that. But DeMond Claiborne, not a name that we were familiar with prior to this season. Guy ran for 20, 26 times for 165 yards. And some may say, well, it's only Vanderbilt. And yeah, the Commodores are the bottom tier of the SEC. But 165 yards is a lot of yards. It was another game for Mitch Griffiths, Sam Hartman's successor, to just gain confidence. And he did look a little better against Vandy than he had looked against Elon when he threw that pick six. Uh, even the backup running back, Tate Carney, which is, makes me feel old because his older brother, Cade <laughs> Carney, was a great player for the Demon Deacons. Tate had uh, 117 yards and a touchdown in that same game against Vandy. So... When Dave Clawson says it's one of his highest priorities, I listen. That's one of the smartest coaches I know. The Deeks took a big step forward in a game, you're right, they were expected to win. But the details of that win, I think, are what kept Dave Clawson smiling after that game. Wake Forest continues to roll on. North Carolina State had a big game, Carter-Finley Stadium, where we filmed to you last week. And it was an awful weather day. Not like the beautiful weather that you see right here, but it was an awful weather day at NC State last weekend. And after that one hour and 45 minute delay, the Wolfpack came out. But the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame immediately strike an 80 yard touchdown, and they do not look back. The Wolfpack get their first loss of the season. Yeah, and this is another one of those where it was the details to me that mattered most. We probably both would have picked Notre Dame to beat NC State, but the details are where you learn a little bit more about your team. Uh, I was glad, number one, that people were safe 
on Lightning Weekend, which disrupted not only this game we're talking about, but all over ACC country and all over the Mid-Atlantic in particular. Uh, I was glad that when they did resume playing, it looked like football because mm -hmm. the only other Notre Dame trip ever to NC State was that Hurricane Matthew game of almost a decade ago, which did not look like football. It was like a 10 to three game where a block punt return for a mm -hmm. touchdown was the only uh, end zone trip in that entire matchup. This was more football. And I think the bottom line, and this is not really a criticism of the Wolfpack as much as an observation about something all of our in-state teams are dealing with. Notre Dame's a legitimate top 10 team. They have future pros on the offensive line and at running back and on defense. And even though we have described, even with Dave Doran's help as a guest on our various platforms, the Wolfpack is a, is a hands-in-the-dirt, trench-fighter-type culture under Dave Doran over this last decade. They essentially got beat at what they claim to do best. In other words, when Notre Dame had the ball, the Irish's offensive line mostly dominated the Wolfpack's front seven. That doesn't happen often. Flip it. When the Wolfpack had the ball, the Wolfpack's offensive line mostly got dominated by the Notre Dame front seven. State can lose a game now and then, but it's rare that they lose in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And when you see a final score like 45 to 24, and the Pack, frankly, couldn't stop the run. Estime of Notre Dame had more than 100 yards, and the Pack couldn't run the ball. I mean, I know it's modern-day college football, air raid, throw it all around. If you can't run it, and you can't stop the run, you're going to lose nine times out of ten. And although Brandon Armstrong made some plays for the pack just to keep the game interesting for a while, he was under a lot of pressure, threw a couple of interceptions, bad plays to go with the good plays. So I, I wouldn't, I'm not anywhere near a panic button for NC State. This is a game they were expected to lose, and they did lose. The good news for them is there may be only one team left on their schedule, maybe two, that is as good as the Wolfpack in the trenches on both sides of the ball, the way Notre Dame clearly was the better of the two on both sides of the ball. That means the pack is going to be competitive, I get, I'm guessing, against just about everybody. And it's only this rare game where they, they lose the battle of the hand in the dirt where they're going to get rolled over this way. Dave talks about the panic button not being applicable at North Carolina State. Perhaps it could be down in Greenville, and we will see East Carolina on the road in Boone in front of what could be the largest crowd in the history of Kid Brewer Stadium later today when the Pirates and the Mountaineers do battle in the ESPN family of networks at 3.30 today. And Mike Houston, earlier in the yeah. week on your show, was talking about just that. He said that if people are going to push the panic button right now, it's more of an indication of the fans than the players. But it's tough to look at 0-3 right now. Are the Pirates really up against the wall? I want to give you quick credit before I get to the panic button question because you deserve credit for a hyperspace button. The fact that we're doing this week's Old North State tailgate and traveling sports circus from Keenan Stadium, and yet you and I will be greeting fans outside Kid Brewer Stadium today in Boone, North Carolina. Man, that time travel stuff is pretty impressive. Boom. So uh, I look forward to, to, you know, we always love meeting viewers and listeners and readers in person, and the tailgate tour is one thing that allows us to do that. So please do come see us if you're listening or watching uh, this morning. Please come see us next to Kid Brewer Stadium. We're right there by the rock. Uh, and we'd love to say hello and talk some football. To your question, which is a valid one, and that went viral in Pirate Nation, if you didn't notice. Credit to you for posting that little short clip of Mike Houston on our platforms. 
saying, hey, if they're reaching for the panic button, that says more about them than it does about us. Those are fighting words. A lot of fans don't receive that well. You know me, I'm originally from Philadelphia. I have pretty thick skin, so <laughs> I'm not going to be offended by that kind of back and forth. The Southern way, and Coach Houston is from the mountains of North Carolina, so he certainly knows the Southern way. The Southern way is not to talk that way to your paying customers, right? Don't call out your own fan base, especially when you're 0-2. I'm not at the panic button stage yet in part because I saw the Pirates lead a pretty good Marshall team in the fourth quarter. If anybody just looked at the final score, which was 30-13, to 31-13 Marshall, it was 13-10 Pirates in the fourth quarter. So it's not like they were blown off the field. I told you in the preseason that one of the fascinating stories in our state in college football this year, just from my perspective, was that Mike Houston, in more than a decade as a head coach at Lenore Rhine, D2, Citadel, which he took to the top 15 of the FCS ranks. That is not easy. <laughs> James Madison, where he won a national championship at the FCS level. ECU, where he's gotten back-to-back bowl invitations after a couple of building years. He's never taken a massive step back. There, there have been kind of plateau seasons, but never like a big step back. Well, if you won eight games last year and you don't make a bowl game this year, that would be a big step back. So that... That's, I think, the red flag that Pirate Nation has in the back of its mind. The other interesting thing to me was we loved watching Holton Aylers play quarterback for the Pirates, right? Homegrown guy, dad helps run Dowdy Fickle Stadium, a beloved guy who could have transferred out and stayed and finished his time with the Pirates. I think he just got let go from the Seattle Seahawks practice squad, but he's essentially an NFL practice squad caliber player. He's probably going to be re-signed at some point. Um, also, and this is easy to forget, but his biggest targets last year, there's a guy, tight end Ryan Jones is now on the New York Giants practice squad in the NFL. Wide receiver Isaiah Winstead is on the San Francisco 49ers practice squad in the NFL. These were all pirates last year. Uh, Keaton Mitchell, their star running back, was he got hurt, but he's, he would have made the Baltimore Ravens 53-man roster. They have him on one of the injured lists. The pirates don't even have, like, 10 players active in the whole NFL. I just named five from last year's team that are either on injured reserve or on a practice squad. That's more than your typical exodus to the next level at a school like ECU that doesn't crank out NFL players the way a state or a Carolina would here in our backyard. So I knew there'd be an adjustment period. The closest thing to a panic button, and we'll learn more today right in front of our eyes at Kid Brewer Stadium against a quality App State team, Mason Garcia, Holt Naylor's successor at quarterback, is a big, strong, impressive physical specimen. If I were a little safety and he's coming around, I want no part of him, right? And he did run the ball well against Marshall. As an inexperienced quarterback, from my perspective, he doesn't understand what he's seeing when he looks down the field. That's a problem because Mike Houston's in year five at ECU and the fans demand that he have the next QB ready to succeed Holton Aylers. Now, maybe he is going to be ready. Maybe that was a bad game. He doesn't look comfortable in the passing game. His backup, it'll be interesting to see if Alex Flynn gets time against the Mountaineers. Now, that is not a proven commodity either. We saw the Mountaineers starter get hurt in week one, Mm -hmm. and Joey Aguilar, a guy they signed from the California Junior College ranks that was supposed to just be the backup, all of a sudden he's starting against the Tar Heels. He was pretty solid. Ran the ball a little, threw it fairly well. He wasn't a superstar, but it wasn't a massive drop-off at the quarterback position. 
I'm not sure the Pirates have that on their quarterback depth chart. And you know, you've been around this game as long as I. If you are problematic at the quarterback position, you can be good in a lot of other areas and still have a rough season. We'll see how the quarterback derby plays out on the ECU sideline uh, against App State. 0-3 would obviously have more of Pirate Nation reaching for that panic button. At least for now, I'd, I would pause before I would hit that same button myself. We're going to talk more about the Appalachian State East Carolina game coming up later in today's edition of the Old North State Tailgate. We did have a couple of Week 2 wins for Durham Bay schools. Duke gets the anticipated win over Lafayette of the Patriot League. And then it was North Carolina Central in the game we were at last week in Greensboro, the Aggie Eagle Classic. North Carolina Central and their head coach Trey Oliver come through with the big resounding rivalry win over the Aggies. And then later on today, they're playing at the Rose Bowl. That is so awesome for an experience for anybody to be able to play there. I was talking to Jimmy Collins earlier this week. You'd think after 40 years in football that maybe once he had been to the Rose Bowl, but he's never been. It's one of those, you know, bucket list type things. But today, the Aggies uh, will not be in Pasadena, but it will be the Eagles in Pasadena. Let me edit that. But today it will be the Eagles in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And they took a little earlier uh, trip out to the left coast. They went out on Thursday. So they're going to be well acclimated and hopefully put on a big show. Yeah, Mike, you got, you're going to have to harness me on this one because I want to push till later as we look at week three, my thoughts on that game. But let me look backward, which is where you started this conversation on the, the Eagles of NC Central. Number one. Special thanks to all of those who came to see us in Greensboro next to Truist Stadium, A&T's home field. We had a lot of fun. Uh, at any moment, you're allowed to brag about my ability to throw a football into a small square net from 20 yards away, which happens, remember, 20 yards equals 60 feet. You know what a baseball <laughs> pitcher throws from? 60 feet, yeah, 6 inches. Phillies, they're, they're, they're trying to you know, sign you. It I could have, be coming. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. And could I be the quarterback of the Jets. I shocked some young people <laughs> with my ability to throw the ball from 20 yards into a net. Uh, but putting that aside, Central against A&T is historically dominated by the Aggies of A&T. Now, we're impressed by Trey Oliver in a general sense. He just led Central to one of the best seasons in school history. Okay, They won the HBCU National Championship last year, and they beat the Aggies head-to-head -head in the, you know, for many fans, their most important uh, game of the season. Trey Oliver was the MEAC Coach of the Year. Davius Richard, his quarterback, was the MEAC Player of the Year. That's a heck of a season. And, of course, those keep people are all back this year. So I want to give Trey Oliver, who's been there five years now, but remember one of those years was the weird COVID year that there was no season. Historically, the Aggies have had the better of this rivalry. And recently, the Aggies won four in a row. And Mike, two of those scores were 54 to zero and 45 to zero, <laughs> both in favor of A&T. And I don't mean the distant future, I'm talking about the last half a dozen or so years, mm -hmm. okay? That's part of what Trey Oliver inherited. Quick flashback, he was an all-region and all-conference defensive back and punter as a player for the Eagles of NC Central. In his four years as a player, and we love Coach Oliver, sorry to bring up this tidbit, he was 0-4 head-to-head against the arch-rival A&T He's making up for it now. Exactly, and that's <laughs> my point. When, when you take that job, one of your key goals is to compete for the HBC National Championship. Check. He just won it last year. Maybe he'll win it again this year. One of your key goals is to swing that pendulum back to the Eagles side of the Aggie Eagle Classic. He's done that. Put yourself on the map. 
Last year's Central team finished number 17 in the FCS polls. Not a lot of HBCUs make that final top 25. It was the highest FCS ranking in the history of NC Central football. These are a lot of positives coming out not too distantly from those 45-0, games. That is a little under the radar because the FBS schools get so much more of the attention. In our state, the ACC schools get the most attention. That is an unbelievable swinging of the pendulum in one of our state's great football rivalries toward the Eagles, away from the Aggies, and it starts with Trey Oliver. So shout out to him. We'll get into their trip to UCLA a little bit later. But they're fun to watch. They're again in the national top 25 of the FCS rankings, deservedly so. We all know the Bruins are a different story under Chip Kelly out there in Pac-12 country. Uh, but it's going to be fun to see the, the Eagles playing in the Rose Bowl, which should be on most fans' sports bucket lists. Absolutely fantastic opportunity for the Eagles. We're going into another week of college football, and when we come back here on the Old North State tailgate, we're going to talk to a former Appalachian State linebacker who went on to be a pro bowler in the National Football League with the Kansas City Chiefs, but he started out right there in Guilford County at Southern Guilford High School. We're talking, of course, about Barry Dean Hackett, known better as Dino. We'll talk to Dino Hackett right after this as the Old North State Tailgate Traveling Sports Circus rolls on here on the North Carolina Sports Network. What does it mean when people say America is a land of opportunity? It means the power to discover. To redefine yourself. To improve yourself. To challenge yourself. To realize there's more in you than you ever knew that you could do. It means giving people an open field to explore what they do best. With the best tools. The best training. The best technology in the world. We bring out the best in the people who serve. So you can be all you can be. The original Saltworks has been serving the Wellington area for over 50 years. Owner Bob Hubbard and his staff create a welcome atmosphere to go along with their home-cooked breakfasts and lunches that simply cannot be rivaled anywhere in North Carolina. Pancakes, eggs, waffles, hot dogs, crab cakes, and the best grits in the Old North State. The original Saltworks, a proud partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. You are looking at Keenan Stadium, football and a forest on the campus of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where later on today it'll be the Tar Heels and the Golden Gophers of Minnesota, the ACC against the Big Ten at 3.30 in that game on the ESPN Family of Network. Time now to talk about our old North State tailgate MVP of the week. It's brought to you by Sport Clips, and Sport Clips is like no other place you've ever gotten your hair cut. Sports everywhere, TVs everywhere, playing sports all the time, 24-7, and guy-smart stylists who know how to give you the haircut you want and the haircut you need. You don't ever need an appointment. Walk-ins are welcome, and you'll walk out feeling like an MVP, guaranteed. Be sure and ask about the MVP experience, as it's something you just can't put into words. An awesome haircut, Dave. Hot steam towel, invigorating shampoo, neck and shoulder treatment. It really takes a haircut and turns it into an event, much like the old North State tailgate. It takes your day and turns it into a mancation. Sport clips. It'll have you walking out feeling 10 feet tall with the confidence that says, bring it on. Sport clips, a proud partner 
of the North Carolina Sports Network. Mike Waddell, David Glenn, back with you here at Keenan Stadium. Last week, it was Appalachian State coming to Chapel Hill and nearly getting out of here with the win. They won here back in 2019, the big shootout on the mountain last year going the Tar Heels way. And then it was, again, Omari and Hampton almost a quarter of a thousand yards last weekend on the ground getting the double overtime surge for the Tar Heels. And, David, when a team like Appalachian State goes from the FCS to FBS, people celebrate that. But they also have to leave behind some big rivalries. And one of those that they left behind was the old Mountain Jug game with Western Carolina. And right now in Cullowee, a place that has not had a lot of football success through the years. Bob Waters, the legendary head coach, did a lot of great things, but he's been long past. But now it's Kerwin Bell, and boy, the Catamounts went in and got the best of number seven FCS-ranked Sanford last weekend. There could be something brewing in Cullowee. Yeah, Mike, and I'm glad you let us squeeze this in before we get to talk about today's games a little bit more because this is an intriguing story. I'm going to even need my notes to mention everything that I want to mention about this because, for example, the Catamounts have not had a victory over a top 10 FCS opponent since 2005. That's 18 years ago. For those who don't know Kerwin Bell, you might remember him. This is the Catamounts head coach of a few years now. You might remember him as the Florida Gators quarterback. Part of his unusual story is that he started with the Gators as a walk-on. By the time he was done at Florida as a player, he was a team captain, he was an SEC conference champion, and oh, by the way, he was the SEC player of the year after starting as a walk-on. So if that's all that you remembered about the guy's legacy, that, that's a heck of a story for anybody. But he has moved on as a coach a handful of years ago. He was at Valdosta State of the Division II ranks. Not only did they go 14-0 in his final season there, and they won the Division II National Championship, they averaged, averaged more than 50 points per game in that 14-0 season. Obviously, that put him on the radar as an offensive guru. He was hired at South Florida briefly. Uh, that whole Charlie Strong staff got fired. And then, actually, Kerwin Bell was out of football during that crazy COVID year of 2020. So Western Carolina, which, as you said, has not been great often. One crazy fact. Since 1994, <laughs> the Catamounts have had back-to-back -back winning seasons only one time. And, oh, by the way, Kerwin Bell had a winning season last year. So if the Catamounts are a winning season again this year, he would put his name next to Mark Spear, the only guy of significant success in, let's call it, three decades at Western Carolina in football. So last year was a step forward for the Catamounts. And that win over number seven Samford, which is not only top 10 in the preseason polls, but was the co-favorite in the Southern Conference with Furman to win the league this year. I know we're only two games in, but that's as big a win at the FCS level as anyone in our state has had. So moving forward, we'll see if they can sustain this. They, but, the, but the Catamounts have never won the Southern Conference football title. They've been in that league since the 1970s. <laughs> so I'm just painting the picture of a difficult place to win, with all due respect. Kerwin Bell is an interesting personality. He is a fun-to-watch offensive guru. And his own recruits, now that this is his third year, are starting to pay dividends. So he does have some juniors and seniors left behind by his predecessor. But three of the biggest stars in that upset of Samford 
where Cole Gonzalez is quarterback, has 29 of 35 passing for 262 yards and two touchdowns, and he ran 13 times for a career-high 68 yards. He's a sophomore, so that's a Kerwin Bell signee at his own position, quarterback. Sophomore running back, Desmond Reed, 27 rushing attempts for 170 yards in a TD. Sophomore wide receiver, who's also a return man, A.J. Colombo, five receptions for 79 yards in a TD. Why do I mention these things? Two of those three young guys are from the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. Where was Kerwin Bell born? Florida. Where was he raised? Florida. Where did where he did play? He, where did he play? Gatorland, right? The swamp. <laughs> where has he coached at times, including that assistant stint at South Florida? The state of Florida. What are the most famous high school football states in the country? You could argue about the order, but they're California, Texas, and Florida in whatever order you want to put them. So is it easy to get Florida-based recruits all the way up in Cullowee, North Carolina? Probably not, but I counted more <laughs> than 40 you only have 85 scholarship players, Mike. You know, and, and when you add walk-ons, it's obviously it's a little over 100. But 43, I, I think if I counted correctly, 40, 43 of the Catamounts players this year are from Florida, the Florida high school ranks. I don't mean they were born there. I mean they were playing their high school ball in that state, several states to our south, and, and lots of miles to our south. Kerwin Bell has something cooking in Cullowee. I don't know exactly what it is. But that big win over Sanford said a lot, and they are on my radar and our radar at the North Carolina Sports Network the rest of the season. It is an exciting time in Cullowee, exciting time in Boiling Springs where Trey Lamb has Gardner-Webb going really well, and those are two of the many FCS-talented programs here in the state of North Carolina. As we mentioned, once upon a time, Appalachian State was an FCS program, and once upon a time, the head coach right here at UNC Mac Brown was the head coach in Boone only for one year. But during that one year, he signed a guy out of Southern Guilford High School named Dino Hackett. And Dino Hackett, he made his money for many years in the National Football League with Kansas City and with Seattle as a linebacker. But he came to Boone, as we'll hear a little bit later, as a strong safety in our own Jimmy Collins was the guy that recruited him out of Southern Guilford High School. So right there, it talks about the homegrown talent. Yeah. Kerwin Bell might go to Florida right now, but eventually he's going to have to come home and get some North Carolinians. And a guy like Dino Hackett was one of the guys who helped put Appalachian State football on the modern-day map. For sure, and I'm glad you guys tracked down that interview because it's a good one. Um, and remember, talking about whether it's what Western just did or what App State has done in the past, including arguably the greatest victory ever by an FCS team at the time, obviously. FCS going to Michigan, beating the Wolverines at the big house. Uh, it's hard to believe that's, what, 18 years ago now? Corey Lynch. Uh, that, that's the most <laughs> famous ever win by an FCS team over an FBS team. But another quick story since we're on FCS before we get back to today's matchups. You, you basically, you could write the book on that most famous FCS win over an FBS uh, opponent. Another fascinating twist of history, the long story short is, you got to imagine back in the 1980s, Furman, which is often a very good FCS program, playing the Wolfpack of NC State back-to-back -back years. A guy named Dick Sheridan is the coach at Furman. A guy named Tom Reed is the coach at NC State. The general. <laughs> the Paladins win a squeaker over the Wolfpack. I think it was 1984, which is it's, it's an upset. Right. For, for those wondering, I just wrote about this at ncsportsnetwork.com. There are literally FCS over FBS 
upsets every year. And even if you narrow it to Power 5 opponents, there are every year wins by an FCS team over a Power 5 opponent. Every single year. Not huge numbers, but it, even at the Power 5 level, it does happen. So after the Paladins win the squeaker against the Wolfpack, the next year they play again. And the Paladins put a whooping on the pack. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was by more than a couple touchdowns. What does NC State do? After watching the Paladins beat the Wolfpack two years in a row, they say, they say goodbye to the Wolfpack coach, and they hired the guy from the opposite sidelines, Dick Sheridan, come on down, and he, he becomes arguably one of the greatest coaches in NC State football history, underlying the motto that I re- referenced in one of my articles, if you can't beat them, hire them. Absolutely, and the funny thing about Tom Reed was he was hired at North Carolina State from Miami of Ohio that had recently sent their coach, Dick Crum, right here to Keenan Stadium. So it all does come full circle. But we do want to go back in the Wayback Machine. We're going to go talk to that product of the Gate City. Jimmy Collins, myself, Mike Waddell, talked with Dino Hackett earlier this week on North Carolina Sports Network's weekly college football show, Wild Dogs and Hawks. So, Dino, tell us about your journey in football. Of course, right there in the Gate City, you grew up around Greensboro. And when did you know that you had a special aptitude when it came to playing football and bringing the pain train? You know, when they go around this classroom when you're uh, in the you know, third, fourth grade and they ask every kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, doctor, lawyer, fireman, whatever it is. You know, although I weighed 75 pounds, I said, I'm going to be a professional football player. Um, and uh, fortunately, um, you know, I, I was able to have a, a very productive high school career at Southern Guilford. And uh, this this guy named Jimmy Collins uh, saw something uh, in a skinny kid uh, from from Southern Guilford and, uh, and offered me an opportunity to come play football at Appalachian State. Jimmy, what did you see in uh, old Dino that made you think that he'd be a standout Mountaineer? I I saw a tall, skinny young man that would run and could run, chase you down, and tried to hit you really, really hard. Uh, Also, uh, he was a pretty darn good basketball player, weren't you, my friend? Uh, uh, I I think multiple sports equate to good athletic ability. So so there were a lot of factors that convinced me that this guy would end up being a player. He actually played at strong safety for me his freshman year. Yeah, I, I remember that freshman year. I uh, came there and y- y'all left me at home for uh, the Wake Forest game. And then we came back and we, uh, uh, we played the home game. I didn't play. And I was thinking about the scout team into the field. Um, and we had a wide receiver back then, all preseason All-American uh, named Alonzo Upshur. Alonzo came across the middle and I took his head off. And the head coach there at the time took offense to that. And two plays later, I think I hit our starting running back. And he told me to get my butt down to the other end and don't come back. I was greeted at the other end by a smiling Jim Coach Collins, and he slapped me on the butt, said, good job, and I, I never went back down to the other end. So uh, they, they, they started me on all the special teams that next week, and I think the, the senior who was starting in front of me uh, ended up uh, getting hurt in the middle of that game, and, and I finished out the game and finished out the season at strong safety. 
And then uh, we yeah. were finished. Then young Jim Collins was finished after that season. They <laughs> they decided they had had enough of us on the mountain at that point in time. Well, you certainly went on to do bigger and better things, Coach. And fortunately, I did too. <laughs> and we were both very fortunate in our careers, no doubt. We're talking with Dino Hackett, former Appalachian State Mountaineer and Kansas City Chief, also Coach Jim Collins, myself, Mike Waddell. This is Wild Dogs and Hogs. And Dino, the name of this show is Wild Dogs and Hogs, as I just said. And that's a tribute back to the Hogs, the big guys up front that I tend to really think uh, the, the game revolves around. And then it's Jimmy's Wild Dogs. You know, those linebackers, those headhunters, those guys that really have an aptitude to bring a lot of physicality to the sport. And my question for you is, when you're on the field and, and you're seeing a guy on the other side that's trying to get past you, what do you conjure up in yourself? How do you mask that emotion to where you're able to just become the force that you were on the football field? First of all, love the name Hogs and Dogs. And and, and love all the dogs that I played with and, and had a, a severe dislike for all the hogs that I played with. <laughs> um, but when you play that game, especially on the, on the professional level, at every level, you know, you, you, you pre prepare yourself before you go out to, it, it's gonna be a fight, you know? It's, it's a very physical game, the, the way that I played the game, the way that I think the game should be played. Uh, you know, and you go out there against the 300-pound offensive lineman who, you know, wants to – his job is to make sure you don't get to the guy that you're trying to get. It's it's a war, and you better have, be prepared. So I always had to, to psych myself up, especially during a long NFL season. You know, you better get right before you step across those lines. And I never really had a problem getting motivated, getting fired up to play a game. And if, if, if I did – after our first two snaps, I figured out, hey, I, I didn't come out here with the right mindset, but I'm getting ready to get the right mindset because that guy in front of me is trying to take my head off. What are your best memories, first up, about playing on the mountain where we'll be this weekend for the East Carolina-Appalachian State game? At the time, East Carolina was not in the bowl subdivision as they are right now. Is one AA football, but Appalachian State, throughout the, the tenure, in the 1AA ranks was really known as being one of the, if not the top football program there was. Well, it's, it, you know, I, my memory on the mountain was, you know, we, we uh, you know, took a program that, you know, had not won a Southern Conference championship. And, you know, my senior year, uh, you know, I saw the players getting better each year. Um, but by my senior year, I think we were picked to finish last in the Southern Conference. And we finished second in the Southern Conference. We, sh we had Furman, we should have beaten Furman, uh, who went on to go deep into the playoffs. But yeah, back in those days, I think they only took uh, 16 teams and I think we were ranked 15th in the nation. They didn't take us, but I, you know, my senior year, uh, I kind of knew, um, you know, again, as that dream was for me, to, to play professional football, I knew that you know, nobody's looking at us. Nobody's coming up on this mountain unless we win some football games. So even during the offseason, uh, you know, after my junior year, I started grabbing some guys and say, look, you know, come with me. This is how we're going to work. This is what we're going to do in practice. This is what we're going to do to prepare. Um, and, you know, we started winning football games and it became a habit. Um, 
And, you know, I, I, I had an exceptional senior year. I had 200 tackles, um, played as hard as I possibly could on every game. And, and you know, obviously that, uh, that got the attention of NFL scouts. Um, and I went to the combine and uh, ran a four four eight, I think four four something, and uh, did very well on the on the the uh, the, the running portion, the speed portion uh, that they were trying to, to test me on. And of course, after that, there were ten teams that came to the mountain and wanted to personally work me out, and I didn't care. Hey, you you want to work me out? Show up that day, work me out. I, I, I think I, I worked out for about 10 teams after that uh, combine uh, uh, performance. And uh, Chiefs were the, uh, you know, always at the top there trying to, uh, you know, telling me that they were going to draft me early, actually had me on the phone. Uh, they had the number seven pick in the nation that year. Had me on the phone then. I wasn't smart enough to say I just got off the phone with, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks or the Jets or somebody. So they said, we're going to, we'll see. And they called me back in the, in the second round, the 35th pick of the nation. And I, and I went to a place that uh, needed an inside linebacker, started me day one at training camp. The head cut coming, the defense coordinator comes in and says, uh, you know, here's our depth chart. And, you know, I'm the starting guy from day one, which gave me a ton of confidence, led the team in tackles that year, pretty much every year that I played after that. Dino, you've got to be one of the world's experts when it comes to barbecue, matching that high country North Carolina, central North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, and Kansas City all into one. So give us the Dino Hackett guide to barbecue and what's the best and, and what is not the best. Well, I know what he better say, I can tell you that, being from Greensboro. Exactly. Coach knows wrong with that one, and it is. It is Eastern barbecue to me. You know, I go out to Kansas City. Oh, the barbecue is great. The barbecue is great. Um, I didn't think so so much. A lot of tomato base, not not the vinegar base that we're used to, but Stamey's barbecue in Greensboro, North Carolina, is, is pretty darn solid. And of course, there are some places in Lexington uh, that that get there too. But yeah, I was I was not impressed with. But uh, you know, one of the former players out there, Buck Buchanan, had a great place. Uh, that we all the players went to. And, of course, there, there were some good spreads out there as well. Uh, and love me, love me some, some barbecue sandwiches. Dino, any last uh, thoughts here? I, I definitely want to ask you, what are you up to now? Because it seems like you've gone from being a football tycoon to being uh, kind of a construction and development tycoon. I mean, you put up over $30 million a year in terms of real estate development right here at home in North Carolina. Well, thank you, I, guys. I've been super blessed. Um, uh, I came out of the league and kind of spun my tires for a little bit, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And you know, never really thought I'd have a passion for for building things. But you know, you you find you have a passion to to, to see something from you know going and buying a piece of land, getting it rezoned. Uh, you know, and, and building it from the ground up and, and seeing it produce for your family and knowing how many folks that you employ that count on you. I, I just like to say, you know, whether you're in the Yosef Club, the, the 
Rams Club, uh, Wolfpack Club, Blue Devil Club, whatever it is, getting that scholarship at Appalachian State changed my life. Um, the things that I've been able to do for my family, uh, by the result of, of those relationships that I had there and that opportunity that I got there, um, really changed my life and wouldn't be the same guy without it. So it's very important to that, you know, those folks who, you know, give those monies to athletics and scholarships, uh, that's, that's life changing, you know, so, you know, the faith, family, football, those are, those are good investments uh, for, for this country and, you know, for, for, for our, our, our world. Um, and it certainly wouldn't be where I'm at right now had I not had that opportunity. That's Dino Hackett along with Coach Jim Collins. I'm Mike Waddell. And when we come back here on the North Carolina Sports Network, we'll take a look ahead to another week of college football right here in the Old North State as you're tuned in on the North Carolina Sports Network. What does it mean when people say America is a land of opportunity? It means the power to discover. To redefine yourself. To improve yourself. To challenge yourself. To realize there's more in you than you ever knew that you could do. It means giving people an open field to explore what they do best. With the best tools. The best training. The best technology in the world. We bring out the best in the people who serve. So you can be all you can be. The North Carolina pork industry plays an important role in supporting rural communities across our state. The pork industry contributes more than $10 billion a year to North Carolina's economy and supports more than 44,000 jobs, primarily in rural, small communities across eastern North Carolina. Learn more at ncport.org. The North Carolina Pork Council, the foundational partner for the North Carolina Sports Network. College football is really a dynamic place right now when you look across the board. And, David, before we get to this week's Excel Moving and Storage Big Four Games of the Week, I have to ask you about Deion Sanders. There is so much attention going out there. Now, we're really trying to focus on everything in the state of North Carolina, but you can't ignore what has become truly a news story in the Colorado Buffaloes resurgent, A.D. Rick George taking the risk hiring Deion Sanders. Do you think that could possibly be a gateway for other people from the HBCU and the small college ranks to get a look? Because it really does seem to be all about relating to your kids more than anything else right now. It could happen. You know, there was that question in college basketball for a long time where in my original hometown of Philadelphia, John Cheney of Temple had been that rare guy to make the jump in a successful way from HBCU to, to one of the bigger Division I programs. Um, so it's a fascinating story to watch. And, Mike, I, I used to call this the Dave's mom litmus test. And what I mean by that is my mom is one of my favorite people, just mostly doesn't care about sports. So for a sports story to get on my mom's radar, it has to have something other than the X's and O's that we love or just the competitive nature of it. So think about the Colorado story now. You have a super – like my mom knows who Deion Sanders is. So that's like one layer of the media lasagna. Um, there was not an issue right there, but let's okay. do the Dave's mom litmus test. We'll pick it up. You want to start over again? Um, no, I think I got it. So let's start with layer one of the lasagna. 
Deion Sanders is a super famous guy. My mom knows who Deion Sanders is for a lot of different reasons. That's one layer of what I call the media lasagna. How do you get attention? A lot of different ways, but famous head coach is one of those ways. Winning unexpectedly is one of the layers to that media lasagna. If Georgia does it, it's expected. If Michigan's 2-0, it's expected, right? If Colorado is 2-0 in interesting style and goes to TCU and beats a top 25 opponent, all right, that's another layer of the lasagna. You have one of Deion Sanders' own children as a star player. That's a family story, right? That's a Dave's mom story who might not care about the football but might be intrigued by these at least some of these right. layers of the media lasagna. You have a school that's about to leave a crumbling conference for another conference that they've been, they've been in previously, the Buffaloes. Uh, there are even more layers to this lasagna, but that's why it is the center of the college football universe, at least for now. I mean, I didn't even mention the 50-plus incoming transfers and the 50-plus outgoing transfers. If you needed a symbol of the transfer portal era, these football buffaloes are the symbol, right? They are the personification of the transfer portal era. Everybody has incoming transfers and outgoing transfers. I don't think anybody else in any sport has ever had more than 50 incoming and more than 50 outcoming. Uh, so that is, you're asking to essentially microwave a football team. Guys who just met each other earlier this year are being asked to go out there on Saturdays and win consistently. It's still early, but it looks like a really good football team. And it's going to be, excuse me, it's going to be in our, uh, in our headlines and on our radar until or unless the Buffaloes come back to earth. And one of those North Carolina ties to that Colorado program is former two-time Tar Heel football assistant Tim Brewster, known as one of the greatest recruiters in all of college football. He is the tight ends coach out at Colorado, was also with primetime at Jackson State a year ago. Let's look ahead now to our Excel Moving and Storage Big Four Games of the Week that's brought to you by Excel Moving and Storage. And since opening their doors, Excel Moving and Storage has strived to be a moving company that works diligently to meet their customers' needs while relocating them all over the globe. Excel Moving and Storage believes that it's their responsibility to provide top-notch customer service while offering a broad scope of moving services to the North Carolina areas and really all around the United States. With main offices in Raleigh and Greensboro, the Excel Moving and Storage team of dedicated pros is committed to not only meeting but exceeding your expectations. Go ahead and call them today, Excel Moving and Storage, and get on the road to an easy, stress-free move in Raleigh. Call 919-213-6694, and in Greensboro, dial 336-939-6450. On now to our Excel Moving and Storage Big Four Games of the Week, We'll start right here in Keenan Stadium, middle of the afternoon, 3.30, ESPN Family of Networks, a Big Ten ACC matchup. North Carolina trying to go to 3-0. Not a lot of people outside of the Tar Heel faithful, the people watching the blue, believe that Carolina could get out to that big start. Again, they lost a lot of games at the end of last season, but the Tar Heels can really complete this first part of the schedule and go into an open date with a lot of confidence if they can get the win over P.J. Fleck and the Golden Gophers today, will that be an easy run for the Tar Heels? I don't think it'll be easy, Mike. As I said to start today's show, I think the Heels will need all hands on deck, and that includes more big plays from their star quarterback, Drake May. We all know how good he is, and we mentioned earlier that the defense led the win against South Carolina. The running game led the win against App State. 
They're going to need more from Drake May against the Gophers in part because I think Minnesota's a really well-coached defensive team under P.J. Fleck and his defensive staff. Two years ago, they were among the best in the nation. Not quite as good last year, but really good to start this season. I think the Heels are the better team. They're a favorite by about a touchdown or so. For those who follow the lines, that may have changed slightly since the last time I saw it. But I say all hands on deck because, you know, when the Heels needed a, a relatively simple field goal to polish off the Mountaineers, they didn't get it. Twice. They eventually got the win, but they didn't <laughs> get a relatively uncomplicated three-point conversion to, to put the Mountaineers away. They, they're just not good. I think they're a very good team. I think they belong in the national top 25. Drake May gives them a chance to beat virtually anybody. But this version of Drake May only has two touchdown passes through two games. Uh, and that's in part because of what the defense is doing. You and I talked about this earlier this season. One of the reasons Phil Longo is not the Tar Heels offensive coordinator anymore is because he and Mac Brown butted heads a lot. And Mac Brown's biggest objection, even though Phil Longo led some offenses that put up some record-setting numbers, his biggest objection was when the defense would dare the Tar Heels to run the ball, Phil Longo still wanted to throw the ball. And Mac thought, in the end, that that contributed to the Tar Heels kind of coming back to earth and losing those four straight games to end last season. In the end, and it's bizarre that any offensive staff member would want to leave the Tar Heels the year before Drake May, the greatest NFL prospect ever at the quarterback position for UNC, the year before he's going to have his last season on campus. To help understand why Phil Longo is now somewhere else and why Chip Lindsey is the Tar Heels guy is to understand the desire for that run-pass balance. Lindsey's from the Gus Malzahn coaching tree. What did Dabo Sweeney say? He, he, he doesn't like air raid as much as he likes air dirt, right? Or dirt raid. Dirt raid. <laughs> Thank you. So it's just a little more run-pass balance. Dabo believes if you don't scare the opponent a little bit with your running game, it will eventually come back to haunt you, especially against your more competitive opponents. We don't know what Phil Longo. Would Phil Longo's offense have still beaten App State last week? We don't know. But the fact that the heels, when dared to run the ball, A, kept calling running plays, B, had a good enough offensive line to pretty much dominate the Mountaineers in the trenches. To the Mountaineers' credit, the Mountaineers' offensive line pushed the heels around a little bit. Both offensive lines had the better of the defensive fronts. But in Carolina's case, Omari and Hampton was a superstar. They were missing their starting tailback and still put up a gazillion yards on the ground. That's a byproduct of a new offensive coordinator. It's a byproduct of a functional, solid, and sometimes very good offensive line that lost to Seam Richards, their left tackle, usually the hardest guy mm -hmm. to replace to the NFL. But they've come together as a group of five. And now they're getting production not only from their backs. British Books was good in week one. Omari and Hampton was superb in week two. Maybe it'll be somebody else moving down the road. Caleb Hood has been good at times. Uh, George Petway has been good in the receiving game uh, at times. The, the Tar Heels got the win, and that's the bottom line. But I think they're going to need Drake May more on offense, more of the UNC defense that slowed the Gamecocks than the, the group that gave up a lot to the Mountaineers, and then just reliability in the special teams if it ends up being a close game against Minnesota. I think North Carolina has to start being able to go vertical. And I think the Carolina coaching staff would really like to not have to go into that bag of trips before the open date because they got some big games coming up in October. And you don't want to trick out too much with your game plan and give your opponents a lot of tape to look at right there. So that's North Carolina and Minnesota coming up later today right here 
at Keenan Stadium. Over at Wallace Wade Stadium, it'll be Duke and Northwestern, two teams known for great academics and Gothic architecture on their campuses, but probably going in different directions right now as Duke under Mike Elko looking really good with back-to-back uh, -back wins to open up the season, including that week one win over Clemson, while Northwestern, well, I think everybody remembers what happened with them in the late part of the summer when Pat Fitzgerald is no longer the head coach in Evanston. And right now, that's a, a program right now that's really searching for just a little bit of calm and identity, probably not the, uh, the thing they're looking for to come to, to Durham and play against the upstart Blue Devils. Yeah, Mike, for those who don't know, college football historically is dominated by large public universities that often give their admissions department a little leeway when it comes to academic standards. You can have a good team at Duke or Northwestern or Vanderbilt. It is very hard to just stack great team on top of great team at schools like Northwestern and Duke, Vanderbilt, and some others around college football. And part of the challenge and really part of the amazing start to the Mike Elko era is that he's doing that. They were 9-4 and four last year. They're off to a good start this year, and they're heavily favored to start 3-0 with a win over the Wildcats, which I do expect to happen. We know they have a great quarterback in Riley Leonard. They have a couple of pro prospects on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. They have a deep – they may not have as many superstars at running back and wide receiver, but they have guys they rely on in both of those areas. And their defense, while still not great, is well coached by the guru, Mike Elko, the head coach and his defensive staff. And they have a couple of stars in Jalen Calhoun in the back and Dwayne Carter up front. So they're capable of beating anybody, but if they want to get where they want to go. And there's some crazy stats, Mike. Since the mid-60s, Duke football has finished, not just visited, but ended the season in the national top 25 one time. Since in my lifetime, one time, okay? They came close last year. Uh, but you know that eight and four is not going to, or eight and five is not going to be a top 25 season. If you want to get where you want to go in your Duke, you have to show you're better than Northwestern. You've got to continue to build some young talent on defense and get some new guys to emerge to supplant and, and to, to support the guys that we already know are special players. Uh, the rest of Duke's schedule includes Notre Dame, NC State, Florida State, Louisville, Wake Forest, UNC, Pittsburgh. The Devils could beat a handful of those teams, but it's, it's unreasonable to expect them to make a run at another nine-win season unless they take care of business against Northwestern today. North Carolina Central is at UCLA, and no, we're not talking about the University of Carolina between Lillington and Anger, Campbell University. We're talking about the UCLA Bruins. For the second time here in the early part of the 2023 season, the Bruins and Coach Chip Kelly coming to the East Coast to pluck out a lower division opponent. In this case, North Carolina Central, they opened with the win over Coastal Carolina back in week one. And for the Eagles, is this a game that they look to just go out there and show up or do they look to show out? I mean, this is their golden opportunity. And UCLA, it's a trap game for them. And they might not be ready for somebody to come in and play with the, the, the swagger and the confidence that the Eagles are playing with right now. A year ago, the Eagles and Trey Oliver did not start out hot. They got destroyed by Mike Mentor and the Campbell Fighting Camels early in the season, but they rebounded to win that Celebration Bowl over Jackson State and win the HBCU National Championship. This is a team that could be the talk of all of college football next week if they get the win tonight. Other than our App State goes to Michigan and wins example, which is still going to be the gold medalist in this category, 
if Central went to the Rose Bowl and beat UCLA, it would become another of the greatest wins in the history of I'm getting show bumps just thinking about it. Over FBS. Yeah. And for those who don't follow the West Coast quite as closely, UCLA is a top 25 team. Uh, Chip Kelly, the former NFL head coach, very successful college head coach, Oregon and elsewhere, he runs that UCLA offense. And, and I don't know if Central's going to be able to slow the Bruins down. They do have the MEAC off, uh, Offensive Player of the Year, Davius Richard. The Eagles quarterback is the real deal. And you know NFL scouts, and they are following him, are going to put more weight on this tape against a Pac-12 school, an FBS school, than they are against some of their MEAC opponents, for example. Uh, but what I love about this is no matter what happens, uh, you said it was Coach Collins that hasn't crossed it off his bucket list, right? I mean, Coach Collins is a little bit older than we are, and he hasn't gotten to that bucket list item yet. These 18 to 23-year-olds are going to be in the Rose Bowl at an early stage of life, man. It's unforgettable no matter what the final scoreboard says, and I'm not discounting the possibilities there. Another quick angle. Martin Jarmond is the head coach at UCLA. Okay, the long story short here, Martin is a North Carolina native. His mom and dad were actually like 20-year listeners to the David Glenn Show, and I would get notes from them. Martin became the AD at Boston College, which allowed me to get to know him a little bit better. Obviously, I've covered the ACC very closely for a long time. So he's now out at UCLA. He was part of, you don't go out of your way at UCLA to schedule any HBCU, much less one that's located, what is that, 3,000 miles away? So Martin Jarman, who is an African-American man, uh, wanted to revisit his home state in a sense, throw a bone. This is a financial incentive for, you know, and, and helps the budget at NC Central, which doesn't have money coming out of tears. Um, plus, it's going to be a fun football game and, and a great experience for these young people. So shout out to Martin for, for making sure this happened. Uh, there are also a lot of details regarding African-American history related to the Eagles trip out there. I don't want to misstate them, so I'll let folks do that Google research on their own. But they're treating this like a special event for an HBCU, even beyond whatever happens on the gridiron. Should be a lot of fun to watch North Carolina Central and UCLA later today on the Pac-12 Network. Now for our Excel Moving and Storage Big Four Game of the Week. We're talking about Appalachian State at home, about three and a half hours away from Chapel Hill. We're about to make that drive to be with you later today at Kid Brewer Stadium as the Mountaineers entertain 0-2 and two East Carolina. And earlier this week on the David Glenn Show, David had a chance to talk with Mike Houston, who said, yeah, they're 0-2 right now, but Pirate fans, they should not be pushing that panic button. You know, with our players, we have to stay focused on, um, you know, pushing ourselves to improve every single day. Uh, and, and really, they've got to focus on blocking out the outside distractions, the outside noise. We, we talk about it year-round. You know, if we had started 2-0, and I would be talking to them about blocking out the distractions and blocking out the outside noise because it's so extreme uh, one way or the other, depending on how you played last Saturday. Uh, you know, if we were 2-0, and uh, I would be worried about them, uh, you know, listening to how good they were too much and setting them up for failure. Uh, and the same thing with you know, a, a challenging start. Uh, it's, you know, they can't listen to everybody tell them, you know, how they're, how they're not very good uh, because we do have a very solid football team here. Um, we knew it was going to be a challenging preseason uh, non-conference schedule, uh, very challenging. Uh, we had a great chance to win last week. We had the lead in the fourth quarter. We had the ball, we had the momentum, we were driving. 
we didn't do things we needed to do down the stretch to win the ball game. Um, you know, it's it, it it's going to it's going to be a deal where we're going to improve every single week. Uh, you know, we have some experience in some spots, and in some spots we're playing some very young players, and they're making some mistakes that young players make. Uh, but one thing about it, we have great men, uh, we have great players. We have people that care about each other. We have people that are working their tails off. And we have people that are passionate about pirate football and passionate about winning here. Um, so if they're hitting the panic button after uh, two games, uh, that's uh, that maybe says more about them than about us. It will be time to reach for the panic button at ECU if they can't get their quarterback situation straightened out. I defer to Mike Houston's judgment. He knows his team's team well, infinitely better than I do. He has confidence that they can turn this season around. They deserve the benefit of the doubt through an 0-2 start when one of those losses, remember, was at the mighty Michigan Wolverines, and the other loss was a Pirates lead early in the fourth quarter that obviously got away against Marshall. If you don't start to figure out quarterback, that is going to become a hard-to-manage situation in Greenville because Mike Houston is not the first or second-year coach when he was and had losing records in Greenville to start his ECU tenure, the fans mostly gave him the benefit of the doubt because they knew he inherited something very difficult from Scotty Montgomery. When you're in year five, you're not supposed to have a crisis. You're supposed to at least maintain your bowl status, if not build on it. Uh, so no panic button for me yet, but we're going to learn more about the Pirates in general as an underdog at App State. And we're going to learn a lot more about the Pirates quarterback situation, uh, whether it is more of Mason Garcia or whether it's Alex Flynn or even somebody else that Mike Houston may have in his bag of tricks. Well, since 1998, they've been calling Kid Brewer Stadium the rock. And just like Alcatraz was a demonic prison for uh, inmates out in the Golden State many moons ago, Kid Brewer Stadium could be a pretty unwelcoming place for the Pirates later on today. Earlier this month, David had a chance to talk with Appalachian State head coach and former Mountaineer lineman Sean Clark, and he said that they expect big crowds every week at the Rock, and today it could be the biggest ever. Well, I go back and you, you, we study. We were 112 percent capacity last year in our stadium, and <laughs> and that, we have uh, Miller Hill, and we brought in additional stands there in the north end zone. That's roughly three or three, 3,500 fans there that can sit there. But you know, that's just it's it's big time football. So it was in 2022 that North Carolina went to Boone, and that was a shootout win when an Eastern North Carolina team goes to the western part of the state. It could be. Mountaineer revenge time today. They might finally get that win, but I have a feeling you're going to see this one decided, as we've talked about throughout this broadcast, in the trenches. This is where the big guys on the offensive line and defensive line, two groups that Mike Houston and Sean Clark know a lot about, that they could be the ones that decide this game in Kid Brewer Stadium. Well, I love this atmosphere for starters. App State is at home. App State is the more confident team. Uh, App State has a little bit more momentum. They just went to a top 25 team on the road and came darn close to beating these Tar Heels right behind us at Keenan Stadium, whereas ECU just can't feel that mojo. You can't generate in the locker room or as a head coach, you can't generate confidence. It has to be earned. And whether it's getting demolished by Michigan, no surprise, nobody should be panicking about that, uh, but letting the game get away against Marshall and really being dysfunctional offensively, 
that's the area that I'll be watching most closely. You're absolutely right to start in the trenches. It's, it explains still a lot of college football and who wins and who loses. But beyond that, let's, let's pretend that it's relatively even in the trenches. What worries me for ECU is that there's no reason for them to be confident offensively right now. You, you need somebody, whether it's a great running back like Keaton Mitchell, now with the Baltimore Ravens, or a great wide receiver like Isaiah Winstead, now with the San Francisco 49ers, or a superstar quarterback like Holton Aylers, who's been on and off the Seahawks practice squad in the NFL, or a great offensive line. Any one of those things you can hang your hat on and say, all right, we're not great here, here, and here, but this is what we believe in the most. I don't know what that thing to hang the offensive hat on is for the Pirates right now. So even at home, that's a hard scenario or a recipe. On the road against a pretty good App State team, it's, it's a difficult starting point for anybody who's trying to envision the Pirates getting the victory. The Illinois State Tailgate is an exclusive presentation of the North Carolina Sports Network. Foundational partner, the North Carolina Port Council. Head of content, David Glenn. Thanks again to our special guest today, App State and Kansas City Chiefs legend, Dino Hackett. East Carolina head coach Mike Houston and Appalachian State head coach Sean Clark. For David Glenn, I'm Mike Waddell signing off on this edition of the Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus. Goodbye, everybody.